Well, uh, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to be back and to see so many faces. I was telling Naomi when we first came, it's a room full of strangers, but now we're practically friends. <laughs> um, we're going to be uh, in Galatians. We're going to be in chapter one. Um, we're going to be, um, really, we've read the whole of the chapter. It's important to do that. Um, but we're going to be thinking mostly about those first uh, 10 verses. Okay, so uh, we're going to be thinking really about those 10 verses. Um, and we're going to be thinking about, um, really, this is going to be straightforward. There's going to be a problem, okay? Uh, there's going to be an antidote to that problem. And we're going to think about some application for us. We've kind of had a hint about what the problem could be. Uh, but um, let me let me introduce the problem to you, okay? Um, so in in 1985, okay, this is not the Galatians. Um, in 1985, um, Coca-Cola is in big trouble, okay? Coca-Cola in the North American market um, are in big trouble. Uh, they have their market share dropping. Um, Pepsi is proving to taste better in every blind taste test that they do. And they fill a room full of people and give them two cups and go, which one do you prefer? And they say, I prefer Pepsi. And Coca-Cola has to do something about this situation. Uh, we know it's okay because Coca-Cola is still here, so it, can't, it kind of went that bad. Um, but Coca-Cola decide to do something about the situation. And so what they do is they decide that Pepsi is sweeter, apparently. So they're going to make Coca-Cola sweeter too. They do the most insane thing I can imagine Coca-Cola ever doing. They decide to add more sugar to, uh, to an already basically 90% sugar drink. Um, and, and they release this new Coke, okay? That's literally how they brand it. They say new Coke, old Coke gone, new Coke here. And they bring it out on the market, and people hate it. They, they cannot stand it. It is, such, it is such a mess that the market share basically drops even further. And so three months later... Coca-Cola rebrand their original drink. Um, they call it original Coca-Cola. They bring it out on the market, and it, it, it has better sales than it's ever had. And some people call conspiracy. Um, I don't know. But um, they, they change the recipe, and people hate it. Um, they try to make it sweeter, and, and it, it doesn't do them any good. Um, the legacy of that is still felt today. Every time you go into your supermarket or uh, shop and you get a red can, not any of the others, the red can or the red bottle. It's got a little thing on it that says original taste. And so that's the original taste. That's what you're drinking. You're not drinking new Coke. You're drinking the original taste. And, and basically, um, there's a big problem for the Galatians, and it's kind of similar. Um, they're suffering from what we're going to call gospel drift. Okay, They're drifting away from the gospel. Um, and if it was a Coca-Cola situation, they've changed the recipe. Um, some people are saying within the church in Galatia that God's free gift of salvation through his son isn't enough. But that's not enough. That actually you need to add something to the work of Jesus. You need to add some effort of your own to what Jesus has done. Um, and people in Galatia, are the, the church in Galatia are confused by this. It's kind of left them all in confusion. And, uh, and, so, and so some people are saying that you need circumcision. Some people are saying that you should eat certain foods and not others. Um, some people are saying that actually you need to go back into the Old Testament, to the Torah, to the first five books, and find all of the regulation there, and you need to keep it. 
that actually to have peace with God, you need Jesus and you need some of these other things too. And that is a major problem for the Galatians. Paul basically says, I'm astonished that you've chosen to do this. If, uh, if this was the 21st century, someone says if this was the 21st century, that he would go, you guys are freaking me out. You guys are freaking me out that you're doing this. This is insane. Um, why on earth have you chosen to change the recipe? And not like Coca-Cola have they made it sweeter. Um, they have actually made it bitter. That's what they've done. Um, they've made it harder for people. And so... Um, I want you to think about a motorway, okay? So you're driving down the motorway. Um, I don't know which one, the M1. And there is a lane on the motorway. And the, sometimes you go on the motorway and there's writing on the, on the ground in big, massive letters. They're usually white. And the, the writing on the motorway can sometimes be directions. So if it's coming to um, a point where it's going to split, it'll tell you which lane's going which way. Sometimes they've got chevrons, which are like arrows that basically tell you you're way too close to the person in front of you and to put some distance. Um, there are all kinds of things. Sometimes they say slow. Um, sometimes, yeah, there's all kinds of things, okay? And so this motorway has the word grace written in this lane, okay? Grace written in the lane. And Paul basically says, that's the lane that I set you in. When I came to Galatia in Acts 13 and Acts 14, this is the lane that I put you in. And he says, what's happened is, You've slept at the wheel, you've believed the sat-nav, all kinds of stuff, but you've drifted out of the lane of grace and you've landed into a different lane on the motorway. Do you ever find that? You're on the motorway and you're struggling to keep between the lines. The Galatians are over the line. The Galatians are in a different lane. And the lane has some weird words coming up, okay? It's got diet. It's got circumcision. It's got uh, regulation. Old law. Um, it's... Uh, actually, all those words are a bit strange for us. The word that comes up that we all understand is the word works. It's on the, it's written on the road, works. And they're in this works lane, and this works lane is a toll road, electronic toll. Um, it charges you for every single mile that you go. And the guarantee is, Paul understands the danger of this. Paul has driven this road all of his life. He understands that the danger is that you're gonna run out of money before you run out of miles. You're going to run out of money before you run out of miles. And so Paul is really concerned that they have left the grace lane and found themselves in works. They've added to the gospel. They've added to what you, um, they've added to what you need to have peace with God. And um, Paul says that sometimes when you're driving down the motorway, you'll have these X's appear on the motorway, and it basically means the lane is closing that this lane's going to go no further. And he knows that the road they're driving has a massive X on it. The only lane that gets you to where you want to go is grace. God's gift of grace for his son. And so some people, um, it, I know it's a bit of an assumption, um, but uh, it, it's really an assumption for us that everyone understands what grace is, that everyone understands what, um, what the grace lane, if we were going by the Coca-Cola illustration, tastes like. Um, there were people in Galatia who had no idea what grace tasted like because they'd never actually driven on the grace lane. They'd spent all of their life driving on works. Um, there are people in churches up and down the country um, that, are, that have no idea what grace tastes like. Um, they've spent all of their life in works. Um, there are people in the room 
people in my church at home and people in the room here um, who have no idea what grace tastes like, who've spent all of their life in works. And there's an opportunity for every single one of us to, to, to go, Lord Jesus, I've been driving this road all my life and it's getting me nowhere. I know the X sign is coming. I know that actually I'm going to run out of money before I run out of miles. There's an opportunity for us to, to come to Jesus and to go, Jesus, I've been in the wrong road. I've been going the wrong way. And I want to, um, I want to trust in you and what you've done, um, that your work alone is going to give me peace. Um, that's an opportunity for all of us. It, it, it's an assumption to assume that everyone is in the grace lane to begin with. Some people haven't drifted. Some people have spent all their life in works. Um, but we're going to find um, that Paul is standing at the side of the road, and there's sometimes big blue signs, and they say, get in lane, get in lane. And Paul's standing at the side of the road, and he's basically telling the Galatians, guys, you are going to run out of miles. You need to get in lane. You need to go back to what I gave you to begin with. You need to come back to the original taste. And the issue, Paul says, um, the issue is really an issue of confidence. Paul says that they have deserted someone. They've abandoned someone. They've, they've deserted someone. And Paul's the one who brought the, the, the message to the Galatians. Paul is the apostle who went to the Gentiles. Paul went to Galatia and gave them the gospel. He gave them the good news. He told them that, that Jesus was enough for peace with God. But Paul didn't actually change the hearts of the Galatians. Who did that? It was Jesus. Jesus changed the hearts. This letter is written by Paul from the Father and the Son. And so the, the Galatians aren't deserting Paul. They're deserting Jesus. They don't have an issue of confidence simply with the gospel. They actually don't have any confidence in Jesus. That is deadly. Absolutely deadly, and Paul realizes it. So that's the problem. It's a, it's a problem of confidence. Um, it's a problem of drift. Um, let's talk about the antidote, okay? Um, we've been thinking about the problem. The antidote. Um, the order of these verses really matters, okay? So Paul has given the, um, he's given the diagnosis, okay? He's, he's told them the problem. Um, you would expect him to pull out his, his prescription book and to start to write them a prescription. But that's not what he does. If you notice where Paul applies the antidote, it's, it's before the diagnosis and not after. It's before the diagnosis and not after. It's in those verses 3 to 5 um, in that first chapter of Galatians. Paul applies um, the diagnosis. Um, if Paul had been a doctor, to be honest, this is exactly the kind of doctor I want. If Paul had been a doctor, he would have jabbed you in the arm before you knew it. Um, he would have had the needle in before you even realized what he was doing. I hate injections, so that's exactly the kind of doctor I want. But Paul, they've walked in the door, they're heading towards the chair, and Paul's already got it in their arm. And then he sits them down and goes, I've got some news for you. Um, I've, got, I've got a serious issue to talk to you about. Um, and that happens for a reason. And I think it's because if you think about the Galatians, what is your honor? What do you think the Galatians' um, reaction to self-criticism is, to critique? Um, what do you think your reaction is to critique if someone comes and tells you, I think you're doing it wrong? 
um, we tend to get a bit kind of uh, defensive. We kind of go a bit stiff, don't we? Um, we want to build ourselves a defense. Um, we go, no, 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 that couldn't possibly be true. Um, and so, and that's a real risk for the Galatians. Um, Paul realizes, um, really amazingly, Paul realizes um, that, 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 that a stiff heart cannot take um, what Paul needs to give them. And so you go into the doctor. We've all, we've all kind of done it, haven't we? We've went to um, the vaccinations or, um, and, and you get a vaccination in the arm and they tell you stop, 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 stop stiffening your arm. You need to, you need to ease your muscles um, because a stiff arm can't take what it, it needs to take. Um, and so Paul um, is basically concerned that, that if the remedy, if he wants to apply this remedy to a heart issue, then he needs them to have softened hearts. Sinful people are stiff people. Proud people are stiff people. And the religious people of Galatia are really stiff people. Religious people are, um, are, are stiff people. And so Paul, Paul realizes um, that, um, that actually when he's in Galatia, the, the trouble for him comes from religiously stiff people. Um, they basically try to kill him. That's, they, they, they beat him up so much that they think he's dead. That's the kind of reaction that stiff people have to the gospel. And Paul says, you need your heart softened. Um, the grace that saves is also the grace that softens. Um, and, and John Newton, um, who is uh, famous for writing Amazing Grace, but he's famous because he was a slave trader. Um, he, um, in his hymn Amazing Grace, writes this. He says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And it's important to say that fear for Newton there isn't um, that he would, isn't really that the way we understand fear. Um, when the Bible talks about a fear of the Lord, it encompasses something richer than, than simply being shaken or scared or immobilized. Um, kind of unable to do anything. Um, it's actually more like a reverence. Uh, uh, you can delight in a fear of the Lord. It, it's something, sometimes it is to be afraid, um, but it's, it's a desire to do what honors God. And so um, Newton realizes that he, he needed grace to soften his heart. That's, that's kind of what he means when he says to teach his heart so that grace would then save, so that in his words, grace would relieve the fear that he found. Those things are connected. Newton understands that. Um, and Paul's doing that to the Galatians. He's giving them grace before they know it, that stiff might, hearts might be softened and that the gospel might do its work. Um, is that your experience? Um, is that your experience that your heart needs softened? Um, it's actually the experience of anyone who's ever become a Christian. Anyone who's ever become a Christian has needed God to soften their heart with grace, that they might then receive grace. And be changed and believe. Um, and Paul says, um, it's really interesting. Uh, if we were writing an antidote for the Galatians, okay, um, we'd be surprised by what Paul gives them. Um, they'd been confused by people advocating all sorts of grace plus options. 
Um, The Galatians have been told that you need circumcision upon grace, that you need diet upon grace, that you need regulation upon grace. And Paul's remedy is what the Apostle John would describe as grace upon grace. Do you know what the Galatians need? They need more of the same. They need more grace. They need more of that good news. Um, They need to really grab a bottle and drink more of the original taste. And so uh, maybe a way of saying this is um, when I got my injection, I got Pfizer. Um, Maybe you're like me. And then my second dose was Pfizer. And when I get a booster again, it's going to be Pfizer again. So that's Pfizer upon Pfizer upon Pfizer. It's the same medicine. This is the thing that surprises me about all these injections, is that it's the exact same thing every single time. And Paul says, I know what you need. You need grace upon grace upon grace. You need the exact same thing that I gave you the first time again. You need to more of that come into Jesus. And so he gives them more of grace that transformed them in the first place. Um, he points them to the same gospel that he proclaimed before. Um, he's got confidence that this gospel is refreshing to people who are tired and weary and confused, people like the Galatians. And they've blown all their savings on this toll road. They've decided to drive down this road, and Paul's saying, come and have more grace. And Paul's treatment um, is, is vague, um, it's not vague, it's, it's really specific, okay? Paul's treatment is not vague, it's specific. Um, he doesn't want to leave them confused and flustered and going, I don't understand this. He wants to give them clarity. And that's actually what confidence needs. It needs clarity. And so he tells them, this is all coming from those verse 3 to verse 5. Uh, we're going to deal with it. Um, he says, grace and peace have come. He says, the son has given himself as a sin offering for you. He says, because of that, because the son has given himself as a sin offering, they are now rescued. He says, it was the father's will that this all happen, that they be free. And he says that the Galatians were rescued, that God might be glorified. And in a sense, the Galatians need to listen to Paul's words for clarity, but then they need to, I suppose what they need to do is, if they need to sit around the letter and talk about, um, about, about how this actually made a difference the first time they heard it. That can be really important. If you've got an issue of confidence about what the gospel is, if you've drifted lane, it can be really important to go back to the original time that you first heard, to think about what you were and what you trusted, and to think about what changed. That's a really important thing to do. And so um, I wonder if um, there's only one person in the entire of the trip to Galatia that we hear of in, in a, that we hear of as a person identified, okay? Everyone else is described as a crowd of Greeks or uh, a crowd of Gentiles, not Greeks, they're in Turkey, a crowd of Gentiles and a crowd of Jews. And there's one person who's, who we can pick out from the crowd in the two chapters in the entire visit. And he's a lame man. This is in Acts 14. He's a lame man. And he's, um, he, he's in the town of Lystra, which is one of the towns. 
And lame means some big issues. Lame means that he is economically vulnerable. Um, He's the kind of guy who's begging on the side of the street. And it means that he is socially alone. He's been lame since he was born. So it's very unlikely that if he can't provide for himself, he's going to find anyone willing to want to marry him or to have children with him and provide. Um, He's been lame since birth. Um, But he's also religiously outcast, spiritually outcast. Um, This is a culture and a world um, where this is this is only years after Jesus. This is a culture and a world where people go. They brought someone to Jesus who was lame and go, "Who sinned? This, 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 this boy, um, or his parents that he was born this way?" And so they looked at him and went, "This guy's done something sinful and done something wrong." They judged him, and to get to the synagogue, he'd have needed someone to carry him. He's vulnerable, and yet he comes to believe. And Paul had compassion for him, and he tells him in Acts 14 to get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And, and, and this Galatian man's life is transformed not because he's healed of his affliction, but because God has granted him forgiveness for his sin. And I wonder if Paul, when he's watching this man walk around, or when he went to bed that night, I wonder if he, he thought about the words of Jesus, because they're actually very important to the Galatians problem. Thinking about the words of Jesus, Jesus was um, met another lame man and his friends carried him into a house and, and, and and Jesus forgave him of his sins and the Pharisees had a problem with this. The religious people went, no, 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 no. You actually need more of this other lane. You need more of the works lane. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said to him, which is easier to say that your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk, but that you may also know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say, get up, take your mat, and go home. And and the most important summary of the whole thing is, um, isn't that amazing? Um, That actually Jesus has the authority to give sins, and, and Paul realizes that. That's a testimony um, of, of, that's why the man was, that's why even the man in Galatia got up and walked to prove to everyone in the crowd as they were amazed. They decided to try and worship Paul, and Paul was like, no, 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 you've got it wrong. Um, they thought he was Zeus and some other people. Um, but uh, but uh, Paul, Paul basically says, no, no, you've got it wrong, and he, he really emphasizes this has happened so that you understand the message is true, that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And the most important words in the entire summary of that three to five is this, that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Freely Jesus gave himself. Jesus gave himself for the Galatians. He he gave his life up for them. He gave himself over to men to be tortured and executed. He gave himself up to death. And he gave himself up to his father's justice as a sin-bearing offering that the Galatians might never actually have to taste that justice. And all of this was a love gift between the son to the father. 
And how do the Galatians know it worked? How do they know that they can have confidence that their sin has truly and completely been dealt with? Well, because Jesus took up his life again, this message, we were singing about it a minute ago, this message is about a resurrected Savior. It's about a risen Jesus, a Jesus who's alive. And with that comes the affirmation that this is true, that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Um, So let's think about um, application. Um, How do we tend, um, how do we tend to drift from the gospel? Because I, I imagine there is probably no one here, maybe not, there is no one here probably who is advocating that we um, start doing circumcision or um, have dietary laws or um, go into Old Testament regulation. What does it look like for us to shift from grace to something else, to works, to go from the, the, the lane where everything is paid for through Jesus to trying to bring something with us. And I wonder if really it's about that we express the same sentiment. We don't do it in the same way, but we express the same sentiment. We basically say, as the Galatians are saying, I don't have confidence in Jesus' rescue. And so does anyone, does anyone know what the, the great crime of the Lego movie is? The great crime of the Lego movie is that the pieces get glued together. I had a friend that, when I was young who glued all their Lego together. I think that's crazy. Um, but, but Lego, um, eh, but, but actually, um, that, that is a, that is an immense crime. <laughs> um, and, and why do people glue Lego together? Anyone got any ideas? It's a confidence issue, isn't it? Um, we think that the, the piece of Lego that we've bought costs so much money, Lego. We, we think that that piece that we've bought and we've put on our shelves, that if we take down from the shelves and start to play with, it will fall apart, it'll break, it'll not last the, the rough and tumble of life. Um, and, uh, and the reality is that, that we can approach Jesus' gospel in the same way. This good news that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has dealt with our sin. And we can assume that that is fragile. I don't know if you this morning think that Jesus' death is fragile. You might not say it, but you might do it by actions. You might be trying to um, do things that will um, win God's favor. Um, but like, like the Lego, so the pieces of the gospel all click together. They fit together. They're strong. They can survive the rough and tumble of the everyday Christian life. That's something Christians don't always think. They go, I've made this massive mistake. I've done these things. How on earth can God still love me? But this, this is designed by God, a beautiful creation that it will hold together until the end. But we Christians sometimes don't actually trust it. And so what we do is we, we take our works like a kid takes glue to Lego and start to try and glue the pieces together to give it extra strength. And as we do that, Paul says, because that's literally what the Galatians are doing, they're, they're gluing the pieces together. They're going, this isn't going to survive on its own, this Jesus stuff. We need to add more to it. They're simply saying we don't have confidence in what Jesus has done. And Paul says, that isn't, that isn't the gospel and something else. That's no gospel at all. 
That's not going to last. If you show up to God with a, with, a, with a gospel glued together with all your stuff, it's not going to do you any good. You need to come entirely dependent on Jesus. And for lots of us, we expect, we have a bit of a worry. For lots of us, we expect the grace lane to become a toll lane. We expect grace to run out. We think every lane on the motorway is going to charge us at some point. Um, I wonder, uh, do you go to church on Sundays to make up an extra layer of defense? Do you live by the Ten Commandments so that you can point out that you've lived nobly? Do you go on Christian teams so you can show God how zealous you are? Are you, the, are you kind to your neighbor, hoping that God sees it and will be kind to you? Are you putting to death sins and vices? Are you denying self so that you look more acceptable to God? We could keep asking questions. None of those, none of them are bad things in and of themselves. But when the motivation becomes that we hedge our bets, we come with sticky fingers and a different gospel. And the Galatians had sticky fingers, and in doing so, they had disregarded the gift that God had given them. They'd abandoned the gift of grace, and they decided to take measures into, your, into their own hands. It is absolutely deadly to try and take measures into your own hands. Actually, we always come out with more of a mess than we start. Um, we need to give it into the hands of Jesus. Um, so what is the antidote to my drifting? We're finishing. What is the antidote to my drifting? Well, Paul's remedy to the Galatians is actually the same remedy to us. What is the prescription? What does Paul give them? He doesn't give them grace and something else. He gives them grace upon grace upon grace. He gives them more of the same. He says, if you're drifting here, take this. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done and come back. He says, oh, you've got a stiff heart and you won't receive it. Here, have some grace and let grace soften your heart that you might see. That's what happened with John, uh, with uh, Newton, by the way. Um, he writes in his hymn, I was blind, but now I see. The only way that happened was grace. The only way a man goes, goes from blind to see is grace. Um, And you take the, um, if you, if you're driving on the motorway, you'll take your car to wheel alignment. Some people, some people, if you don't own a car, you won't know this, but you, the wheels start by travel, the wheels will go out of alignment. That happens, that happens all the time. Um, it's really annoying. Um, you, you find out that a year later, your tread on your car is like the whole, it's all, it's, it's really annoying. But in, in the Christian life, as you travel, the truth is that your wheels are always at risk of going out of alignment. And so for a car every single year, you've got to take it to us. You've got to take it and you've got to realign it. You've got to make sure all the, all the wheels line up so that as you're moving the steering wheel, it's going where you want to go. It's staying between the lanes. And the spiritual life is actually a lot like that. We're constantly, because of sin, because of the old self that's still here, that's dying day by day, we're constantly going out of alignment. Actually, what happens is the wheels go so out of alignment that we're pushing away from grace. And Paul says you, you need to have your alignment 
right. You need to have that wheel alignment in the Christian life. And not just every year, to be honest, it probably needs, it really needs to be every day to constantly be coming back. And how do you align the wheels on, on your car? Well, you take it to a specialist and let them align it. You can't do it yourself, that I'm aware of. Um, you need to like jack it up and do all kinds of stuff. The only way to realign the wheels in your spiritual life are to bring it to Jesus. He's the only one by grace, the pouring out of his grace upon your life, that you'll drive in in the grace lane. And so do you need reminded, just like the Galatians, that Jesus gave himself for my sins? And maybe this is, we'll end on this. Paul says this, that the, really, if you want to sum it up, Paul says that the best defense from deserting Jesus is more of Jesus. The best defense from deserting Jesus is more of Jesus. Uh, let's, let's just pray together and then we'll sing. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. Um, we come and we confess um, that so often we, um, so often we don't understand, uh, we don't see the gospel for all that it is. Uh, we're prone to look around us to what other people are saying and what other people are doing. We're prone to look at our sin. Uh, we're prone to um, drift into other things. We're, we're prone to forget just how good and just how glorious the gospel of Jesus really is. Father, forgive us for those moments when we um, are prone to wonder, um, as we were singing about. Forgive us for those moments when we um, come with sticky fingers, having tried to um, please you and to win our rescue and to win our salvation in any other way but through Jesus. Thank you so much for your care. Thank you for how you treat us tenderly. Thank you that um, this, these words of Paul to the Galatians weren't just the words of Paul, but they were the words of the Father and the words of the Son. And by the power of the Spirit, effectual in their lives. Thank you that you didn't give up on the Galatians, but that actually you just poured more grace upon them. And we're grateful for um, how that's true for us. Um, some of us understand that um, really well. We find ourselves distant from you and, and you've poured your grace upon us and we've come back. Um, we just want to pray and ask that you would um, help to keep us from drift. That as we come to you every day, as we pray and as we read, as we rejoice at what you have done for us, how great this salvation. And we just want to pray that you would help to keep us aligned, that you would keep us in the grace lane, and that you would keep us trusting in Jesus and not trying to take things into our own hands. And as a grateful people, we want to come and to sing and to worship. For we haven't done anything to earn this. We don't deserve this. Um, we are the recipients of unmerited favor. And we just marvel. And so we just uh, give thanks in the name of Jesus.
Amen. We're going we're gonna to sing, and that will be um, our closing hymn. We're going to sing Amazing Grace together. Um, so uh, after the introduction, uh, we're going to stand. And, and really, this is, a, this is a song written by a man who was a slaver who became a saint. He was a slaver and became a servant. Um, what an incredible transformation in that man's heart. I don't know about you, but I, I think if, if, you're, if you're able to do the, the North Atlantic, the Atlantic slave trade, you must have one really, really, really stiff heart to watch that and to be okay with that. And grace came upon him, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and it changed his life. And he penned these words, and I find that amazing. Uh, so after this, we'll be we'll be finished. But let's sing together. Thanks.